Book One, Chapter Five, Sections Three, Four, and Five of In the Days of the Comet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bershacht. In the Days of the Comet by H. G. Wells. Book One, Chapter Five. Sections 3, 4, and 5. Section 3. I sought them in vain the next morning, but after midday I came in quick succession on a perplexing multitude of clues. After failing to find any young couple that corresponded to young Verall and Nettie, I presently discovered an unsatisfactory quartet of couples. Any of these four couples might have been the one I sought, with regard to none of them was their conviction. They had all arrived either on Wednesday or Thursday. Two couples were still in occupation of their rooms, but neither of these were at home. Late in the afternoon, I reduced my list by eliminating a young man in drab, with side whiskers and long cuffs, accompanied by a lady of thirty or more, of consciously ladylike type. I was disgusted at the sight of them. The other two young people had gone for a long walk, and though I watched their boarding-house until the fiery cloud shone out above, sharing and mingling in an unusually splendid sunset, I missed them. Then I discovered them dining at a separate table in the bow-window, with red-shaded candles between them, peering out ever and again at this splendor that was neither night nor day. The girl in her pink evening dress looked very light and pretty to me, pretty enough to enrage me. She had well-shaped arms and white, well-modeled shoulders, and the turn of her cheek and the fair hair about her ears was full of subtle delights. But she was not Nettie, and the happy man with her was that odd degenerate type our old aristocracy produced with such odd frequency, chinless, large bony nose, small fair head, languid expression and a neck that had demanded and received a veritable sleeve of collar i stood outside in the meteor's livid light hating them and cursing them for having delayed me so long i stood until it was evident they remarked me a black shape of envy silhouetted against the glare that finished Schaffenbury. the question i now had to debate was which of the remaining couples i had to pursue I walked back to the parade, trying to reason my next step out, and muttering to myself, because there was something in that luminous wonderfulness that touched one's brain, and made one feel a little light-headed. One couple had gone to London. The other had gone to the bungalow village at Bone Cliff. Where, I wondered, was Bone Cliff? I came upon my wooden-legged man at the top of his steps. Hello, said I. He pointed seaward with his pipe. His silver ring shone in the skylight. Rum, he said. What is? I asked. Searchlights, smoke, ships going north. If it wasn't for this blasted Milky Way gone green up there, we might see. He was too intent to heed my questions for a time. Then he vouchsafed over his shoulder. No bungalow village, rather. Artists and such. Nice goings-on. Mixed bathing. Something scandalous. Yes. 
but where is it i said suddenly exasperated there he said what's that flicker a gun flash or i'm a lost soul you'd hear i said long before it was near enough to see a flash he didn't answer only by making it clear i would distract him until he told me what i wanted to know could i get him to turn from his absorbed contemplation of that phantom dance between the sea rim and the shine indeed i gripped his arm and shook him then he turned upon me cursing seven miles he said along this road and now go to hell with you i answered with some foul insult by way of thanks and so we parted and i set off towards the bungalow village i found a policeman standing stargazing a little way beyond the end of the parade and verified the wooden-legged man's directions it's a lonely road you know he called after me i had an odd intuition that now at last i was on the right track i left the dark masses of Shaffenbury behind me and pushed out into the dim pallor of that night with the quiet assurance of a traveller who nears his end the incidents of that long tramp i do not recall in any orderly succession the one progressive thing is my memory of a growing fatigue the sea was for the most part smooth and shining like a mirror a great expanse of reflecting silver barred by slow broad undulations but at one time a little breeze breathed like a faint sigh and ruffled their long bodies into faint scaly ripples that never completely died out again the way was sometimes sandy thick with silvery colorless sand and sometimes chalky and lumpy with lumps that had shining facets a black scrub was scattered sometimes in thickets sometimes in single bunches along the somnolent hummocks of sand at one place came grass and ghostly great sheep looming up among the gray after a time black pine woods intervened and made sustained darkness along the road woods that frayed out at the edges to weirdly warped and stunted trees then isolated pine witches would appear and make their rigid gestures at me as i passed grotesquely incongruous amidst these forms i presently came on estate boards appealing houses can be built to suit purchaser to the silence to the shadows and the glare once i remember the persistent barking of a dog from somewhere inland of me and several times i took out and examined my revolver very carefully i must of course have been full of my intention when i did that i must have been thinking of nettie and revenge but i cannot now recall those emotions at all only i see again very distinctly the greenish gleams that ran over lock and barrel as i turned the weapon in my hand then there was the sky the wonderful luminous starless moonless sky and the empty blue deeps of the edge of it between the meteor and the sea and once strange phantoms i saw far out upon the shine and very small and distant three long black warships without masts or sails or smoke or any lights dark deadly furtive things traveling very swiftly and keeping an equal distance and when i looked again they were very small and then the shine had swallowed them up then once a flash and what i thought was a gun 
until I looked up and saw a fading trail of greenish light still hanging in the sky. And after that there was a shiver and a whispering in the air, a stronger throbbing in one's arteries, a sense of refreshment, a renewal of purpose. Somewhere upon my way the road forked, but I do not remember whether that was near Shaffenbury or near the end of my walk. The hesitation between two rutted unmade roads alone remains clear in my mind. At last I grew weary. I came to piled heaps of decaying seaweed and cart tracks running this way and that, and then I had missed the road and was stumbling among sand hummocks quite close to the sea. I came out on the edge of the dimly glittering sandy beach, and something phosphorescent drew me to the water's edge. I bent down and peered at the little luminous specks that floated in the ripples. Presently with a sigh I stood erect and contemplated the lonely peace of that last wonderful night. The meteor had now trailed its shining nets across the whole space of the sky and was beginning to set. In the east the blue was coming to its own again. The sea was an intense edge of blackness, and now, escaped from that great shine and faint and still tremulously valiant, one weak elusive star could just be seen, hovering on the verge of the invisible. How beautiful it was! How still and beautiful! Peace! Peace! The peace that passeth understanding, robed in light descending! My heart swelled, and suddenly I was weeping. There was something new and strange in my blood. It came to me that, indeed, I did not want to kill. I did not want to kill. I did not want to be the servant of my passions any more. A great desire had come to me to escape from life, from the daylight which is heat and conflict and desire, into that cool night of eternity and rest. I had played, I had done. I stood upon the edge of the great ocean, and I was filled with an inarticulate spirit of prayer, and I desired greatly peace from myself. And presently there in the east would come again the red discoloring curtain over these mysteries, the finite world again, the gray and growing harsh certainties of dawn. My resolve, I knew, would take up with me again. This was a rest for me, an interlude, but tomorrow I should be William Ledford once more, ill-nourished, ill-dressed, ill-equipped and clumsy, a thief and shamed, a wound upon the face of life, a source of trouble and sorrow even to the mother I loved, no hope in life left for me now but revenge before my death. Why this paltry thing, revenge? It entered into my thoughts that I might end the matter now and let these others go. To wade out into the sea, into this warm lapping that mingled the natures of water and light. To stand there breast high. To thrust my revolver barrel into my mouth. Why not? I swung about with an effort. I walked slowly up the beach, thinking. I turned and looked back at the sea. No, something within me said. No, I must think. It was troublesome to go further, because the hummocks and the tangled bushes began. I sat down amidst a black cluster of shrubs, and rested, chin on hand. 
I drew my revolver from my pocket and looked at it, and held it in my hand. Life or death? I seemed to be probing the very deeps of being, but indeed imperceptibly I fell asleep and sat dreaming. Section 4 Two people were bathing in the sea. I had awakened. It was still that white and wonderful night, and the blue band of clear sky was no wider than before. These people must have come into sight as I fell asleep, and awakened me almost at once. They waded breast-deep in the water, emerging, coming shoreward, a woman, with her hair coiled about her head, and in pursuit of her a man, graceful figures of black and silver, with a bright green surge flowing off from them, a pattering of flashing wavelets about them. He smote the water and splashed it toward her. She retaliated, and then they were knee-deep, and then for an instant their feet broke the long silver margin of the sea. Each wore a tightly fitting bathing dress that hid nothing of the shining, dripping beauty of their youthful forms. She glanced over her shoulder and found him nearer than she thought, started, gesticulated, gave a little cry that pierced me to the heart, and fled up the beach obliquely toward me, running like the wind, and passed me, vanished amidst the black distorted bushes, and was gone, she and her pursuer, in a moment over the ridge of sand. I heard him shout between exhaustion and laughter, and suddenly I was a thing of bestial fury, standing up with hands held up and clenched, rigid in gesture of impotent threatening against the sky. For this striving swift thing of light and beauty was Nettie, and this was the man for whom I had been betrayed. And it blazed upon me I might have died there by the sheer ebbing of my will, unavenged. In another moment I was running and stumbling, revolver in hand, in quiet, unsuspected pursuit of them, through the soft and noiseless sand. Section 5 I came up over the little ridge and discovered the bungalow village I had been seeking, nestling in a crescent lap of dunes. A door slammed, the two runners had vanished, and I halted, staring. There was a group of three bungalows nearer to me than the others. Into one of these three they had gone, and I was too late to see which. All had doors and windows carelessly open, and none showed a light. This place, upon which I had at last happened, was a fruit of the reaction of artistic-minded and carelessly living people against the costly and uncomfortable social stiffness of the more formal seaside resorts of that time. It was, you must understand, the custom of the steam railway companies to sell their carriages after they had been obsolete for a sufficient length of years, and some genius had hit upon the possibility of turning these into little habitable cabins for the summer holiday. The thing had become a fashion with a certain bohemian-spirited class. They added cabin to cabin, and these little improvised homes, gaily painted and with broad verandas and supplementary lean-tos added to their accommodation, made the brightest contrast conceivable to the dull rigidities of the decorous resorts. Of course, there were many discomforts in such camping that had to be faced cheerfully, and so this broad sandy beach was sacred to high spirits and the young, 
art muslin and banjos chinese lanterns and frying are leading notes i find in the impression of those who once knew such places well but so far as i was concerned this odd settlement of pleasure squatters was a mystery as well as a surprise enhanced rather than mitigated by an imaginative suggestion or so i had received from the wooden-legged man at Shaffenbury. i saw the thing as no gathering of light hearts and gay idleness but grimly after the manner of poor men poisoned by the suppression of all their cravings after joy to the poor man to the grimy workers beauty and cleanness were absolutely denied out of a life of greasy dirt of muddy desires they watched their happier fellows with a bitter envy and foul tormenting suspicions fancy a world in which the common people held love to be a sort of beastliness own sister to being drunk there was in the old time always something cruel at the bottom of this business of sexual love at least that is the impression i have brought with me across the gulf of the great change to succeed in love seemed such a triumph as no other success could give but to fail was as if one was tainted i felt no sense of singularity that this thread of savagery should run through these emotions of mine and become now the whole strand of these emotions i believed and i think i was right in believing that the love of all true lovers was a sort of defiance then that they closed a system in each other's arms and mocked the world without you loved against the world and these two loved at me they had their business with one another under the threat of a watchful fierceness a sword a sharp sword the keenest edge in life lay among their roses whatever may be true of this for others for me and my imagination at any rate it was altogether true i was never for dalliance i was never a jesting lover i wanted fiercely i made love impatiently perhaps i had written irrelevant love letters for that very reason because with this stark theme i could not play the thought of nettie's shining form of her shrinking bold abandoned to her easy conqueror gave me now a body of rage that was nearly too strong for my heart and nerves and the tense powers of my merely physical being i came down among the pale sand heaps slowly toward that queer village of careless sensuality and now within my puny body i was coldly sharp-set for pain and death a darkly gleaming hate a sword of evil drawn end of book one chapter five sections three four and five read by bear shocked